Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And thank you again for joining me here at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 37. Well, Captain Jim Furyk has made three of his captain's picks. Not really a big surprise. Tiger, Phil, and Bryson get the nod. It's going to be interesting, though, to see what happens with that fourth pick. Kucher, Finau, Kisner. Kind of rooting for Kisner because that means he's with Patrick Reed. And, well, that's just all sorts of fun. But anyway, we'll have to see what happens next week and at the Tour Championship. Lots of good golf coming up. And I'm sure I'm not the only one looking forward to the Ryder Cup at the end of this month. Let's get the podcast housekeeping stuff out of the way quick. I want to get to this week's episode. It is a great one. Don't forget, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We have new golf towels, hats, beer koozies, all with our logo on them. We're giving them away as quickly as we can. So leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Send me an email. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Basically, interact, and you might just get some free stuff in the mail from the back of the range. Before we get to this week's guest, congrats to Brian Dolheide and Sully Zagerman, two guys playing for our friend and new head coach at Florida Atlantic University, Ryan Jameson. These two guys punched their ticket to the U.S. four ball next year. Abandoned uh, Dunes, I believe, is where they're holding it. Yeah, that's going to be pretty amazing. So they qualified over in Naples, Florida last week. Good guys. We wish them well. So you know by now that you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, but if you want to listen to the older episodes... Remember, we have 36 previous ones we've done. Uh, if you want to listen to Ryan Jameson's when he was the assistant over at Stanford, go ahead and head over to thebackoftherange.com. It will direct you anywhere you need to go. You can get all the episodes there, as well as Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Okay, so college recently started up again, and that means college golf is in full swing. We are going to have plenty of players and coaches on the podcast during the remainder of the year, but this week we're starting at the top. This week's guest is Coach Alan Bratton from the national champion Oklahoma State University Cowboys. We spoke about his playing days at OSU, the dramatic end to their championship run in 1995 against Tiger Woods, Nota Begay, and the rest of the Stanford Cardinal. We also chatted about his days playing on the PGA Tour, the Asian Tour, and the current crop of Cowboys like Victor Hovland, Matt Wolf, and Austin Eckrode. Before we get started, special thanks has to go to Ryan Cameron at Oklahoma State for helping out and putting me in touch with Coach Bratton. If you want to follow Oklahoma State throughout the season, I highly recommend you do. Check out the show notes of this podcast episode. I've put their website and Instagram links in there for you. Always a good idea to keep an eye on these guys because it sure looks like they're going to be around at national championship time. So let's get started. Coach Bratton, I really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining me here at the back of the range. Thanks for having me on. It's always uh, fun to come on and talk Oklahoma State and college golf. Absolutely. We're going to do a lot of that. Um, gosh, so so most uh, people obviously know about the uh, amazing and dominant national championship uh, you just ran through in Stillwater, but now it's the off season, or <laughs> technically it's the off season, but you don't get much of a break. So uh, tell listeners a little bit about what uh, a college golf coach does in the summertime. Well, two days after the championship finished up, we had 100 kids in for a golf camp. So we had two different camps that went over an eight-day stretch. And uh, the bulk of the rest of the summer, I've been on the road recruiting. Uh, I've taken a couple trips with my family, but uh, 
and then uh, one where I combined a little bit of both, but I uh, have not been in town a whole lot. And when you say recruiting, you're, you're you're attending, obviously, there's the big ones. There's the Western AMs, there's the U.S. AMs. But is it just you getting in front of uh, amateurs that are going to be moving up to the college ranks? Are you just looking in general and seeing who's out there, how they're playing, and just kind of getting some face time with some of these kids? Well, some of you mentioned a couple of the amateur events. Mostly we're going to junior tournaments, um, watching high school kids. Uh, like you said, ones that are that are up and comers and you're evaluating kids uh, of all ages. And um, right now we're working on kids that are sophomores and youngers, um, the class of 2020 and, and beyond. So uh, trying to keep keep your eye on the best kids you can find all around the world. Sure. Well, Oklahoma State with with just with the amazing history, whether, you know, during your tenure that you've been there, whether as the associate head coach for both the men's and the women's team, you know, 23 All-Americans, 10 first team selections. You know, I want to talk a little bit about your your coaching, but also a lot about your, your playing career. You've been with Oklahoma State just for a long time as a player and then as a coach. I know everyone has a right in their mind about two, you know, to the 2018 national championship team, but you're a four-time All-American playing at Oklahoma State. What uh, what was the most uh, exciting part of your experience playing at Oklahoma State? Well, the best part of, of my playing career at Oklahoma State was really just all the teammates that I got to be, you know, friends with, teammates with, all the uh, different experiences traveling all over, and, and uh, which culminated in, in uh, I was a part of two national championship teams, one the year that I redshirted and then won uh, my last college tournament. So um, I think my favorite year in school really was the year that I redshirted. I didn't play a single tournament, but uh, that laid the foundation for the good golf that I got to play uh, the, the following four years. I was fortunate to play with guys like Kevin Wentworth and Bob May, uh, who were all Americans on the team when I was a freshman and that led us to a national championship that year. So that set the foundation for me as a leader of the team, following those guys example. Um, they helped me get a lot better. I wasn't good enough to make the lineup on that team. Um, so really that's my favorite year. I met my wife that year. So, uh, a lot of fond memories from the 1990, 91 season. And that really set, like I said, the foundation for me and whatever I was able to do, uh, through the rest of my college career. And that's interesting because, you know, obviously redshirting is something that it's not just, you know, obviously college golf. It's it's all college athletics. You hear, you know, football players and basketball players being redshirted. And I, I guess most people think of it as just, well, you don't get to play. But it sounds to me that you had a lot going on as a redshirt. Are you were you in every single workout Were you, you mentioned that those are the things you really learned at, at that time. The only thing that's different when you redshirt is, is you don't actually travel to events, but okay. I had, I was focused on getting better. My roommate and I, Chris Tidlin, we both redshirted and then went on to be four time all Americans. Sure. And, and, uh, you know, we had a great tournament every single day at home. I was playing against all Americans every single day. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned Kevin Wentworth, Bob May. We also had Craig Hainline, who was a, returning first team all American. So I got to play against some of the best players in the country every single day. And when I saw myself start to close the gap on those guys, I knew I would be ready to go out and uh, take on the world. We've been fortunate to have a team good enough that we are able to redshirt some top freshmen. And if you think about it, if you want to use Ricky Fowler as an example, if you're on another team, 
I think this past year, Texas was a school we played probably more than anybody else. We played them seven times. So if you're on another university, maybe you get to play Ricky seven times. If you're playing for Oklahoma State, you get to play against him every single day. And uh, the one true way or for sure way to get better is to surround yourself with people that can beat you and then pay attention, compete, pay attention, and you can't help but get better. So I'm certainly a product of that, and and uh, hopefully we can continue to be good enough where we can bring in some players. And it is hard for a freshman to make the lineup. If we're doing our job, it should be hard for freshmen to, to crack in and beat people that are veterans of the program. So uh, that has served Oklahoma State well. It did this year for sure, and uh, will continue in the future. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned your your favorite year was your redshirt, but also the the '95 national championship team. And you know, this is obviously before things went to match play, so it was you know, 72 holes of stroke play. You know, five starters, the best four scores count. But you know, doing some research back on some of your history and some of your championships that you've uh, that you've won, this is really a unique uh, season where it's the first sudden death final of a national championship in college golf. Just thinking back to 95, so it's basically you and, and you know, Oklahoma State and Stanford. Um, what do you remember most about that national championship You know, before we get to, to the sudden death? I know this was a time with, um, you know, Tiger Woods had, had just won his first USAM in 94, actually beat one of your teammates, Trip Keeney, in the final. What do you remember most about that 95 national championship, the stroke play portion? Well, there were tons of rain delays. We were playing in Columbus, Ohio, so at the same time as the Memorial. So the Memorial Tournament was going on while we were playing. And um, the, those two teams, Stanford and Oklahoma State, were clearly the two best in the country. We had been the best the year before, and uh, Stanford ended up winning the championship. And uh, so we wanted to kind of rectify that. But their team was very, very good. They had lost their fifth man. Uh, off the previous year's team, had the other four guys coming back, and then they added Tiger to the team. We returned all five guys. So uh, it was great battles all year, and uh, that week was really no different. Uh, for me personally, I was playing terrible, uh, hit the ball all over the golf course, <laughs> but uh, was doing a good job of scoring my ball. And the first two days, I didn't play very well, uh, 76-75 for me. And but I rallied and put up a couple good scores the last two rounds. And uh, I took a lot of pride in the way I was able to score my ball uh, despite not hitting it worth a darn. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you have this, uh, this ending of this stroke play portion where, uh, you know, from what I've read and, and research I've done, it seems that Stanford kind of limped into the playoff where you guys really rallied and birdied a, a several closing holes to get there. You know, this is, I don't think I've ever seen this, but you, you had the sudden death was five on five. You each went out to play a hole, but you guys didn't go out as five. You went out as four. Um, can, can you speak to, to what that was like and how, how that came to be where you, you were a five-man team except for the very last portion of the national championship where it would be decided? Well, first we're going to have to go back, and I'm going to take mild defense at someone trying to say that Stanford limped in. If they limped in, well, then we limped out, I guess. So uh, it is a 72-hole tournament, and I'm going to tend to focus on the fact that we rallied at the end. Uh, we made a bunch of birdies uh, on our way in. We had some rain delays that that allowed us to kind of know how we stood, and uh, that really strengthened uh 
I think our resolve as we came in, had it not been for those rain delays, we may not have been able to close the way we did. And um, with those delays, the day took a lot longer than it should have. Our fifth man, Leif Westerberg, a boy from Sweden, uh, finished his round. He was our first guy out because he was the high scorer uh, at the time. And he finished his round and he needed to catch a plane if he was going to make the British amateur. And uh, he asked coach, you know, what do I do? What if we're in a playoff? Right. And there had never been a playoff. So coach <laughs> said, don't worry, we'll handle it. He put him on a plane. And uh, as it shook out, I birdied the last three holes. And Chris Cox made a birdie coming in. Trip Keeney made a birdie coming in. And uh, we did, in fact, end up uh, in a playoff. So we had to go out. Rather than having five guys count four, we only had four guys. So everybody's score counted. Okay. Okay. Well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean to, to – to take a, or, or to offend you with that, I just kind of noticed after my research that I guess they missed a couple short ones uh, to to get to that number. And you guys, Nota Begay definitely missed a very short putt on the last hole. Um, but uh, but you know sometimes you make your birdies early, sometimes you make them late, sometimes sure. it's the same with bogeys. So at the end of the day, we ended up tied and and we went and settled it in a playoff. Good. You're four time All American. You you cap off your collegiate career with the national championship and and what most uh, most players at that level often do you know they they turn professional and uh, you did that and uh, had a span of about five or six years where it looks like where you played professionally on on many different tours but you started it looks like on the asian tour what what was one of the most unique experiences you know how did you enjoy the asian tour did you enjoy it over there or was it just a complete culture shock from you know growing up in college station spending so much time in oklahoma well, it was a great learning experience. I mean, certainly opened my eyes to how many good players there are all around the world sure. and, and uh, made you appreciate other cultures and appreciate the United States. Uh, we're, we're all fortunate to live uh, live here and have the opportunities you do. But I certainly enjoyed it. Playing professional golf is a wonderful way to make a living uh, outside of maybe rock star. Uh, I can't imagine anything being better than to be actually to, to be able to play a game for a living, which I was fortunate to be able to do for a number of years. Um, yeah, I played all over the world. I went, I had never been outside of the United States until I graduated college and I was fortunate to play the Walker cup team, play on the Walker cup team. That was the first time I left the country. And then I played in probably 25 different countries, uh, over six years. And, uh, yeah, it was a great experience. I played against tons of really good players who went on and, and played the PGA Tour, guys like Carlos Franco, uh, Brian Watts, um, uh, Angel Cabrera, Steve Flesh. There were all kinds of good players um, in Asia at the time. And, and again, like I say, it made a gave me an appreciation for how many good players there are and, and helped me become a better player and, and helped me prepare for when I did end up playing the PGA Tour. Sure. What was one of the events that you played on uh, uh, one of the tournaments on the Asian tour where you just said to yourself, boy, I, I don't need to come back to this place again, or how did I get here? You know, where am I right now? Well, probably my favorite place to compete was in India. Um, I played in Calcutta a couple times, but there was a particular hole there that there was a par three. It was, it was, there were several water hazards on the course. Most of them were dry. This one actually had water in it. And a lot of the local kids would kind of surround this little pond. And if you happen to hit your ball in it, they would dive down and try to find it <laughs> and get it out of there and then sell it back to you if uh -huh. you would, if you would buy it. So, um, 
before the tournament started, there were goats roaming the golf course and the people kind of made them tie up their goats so that we could play the event without uh, animal interference. But, um, again, the people there, the food, the, the culture was great to get to see in a, in a, in a real growth opportunity for me as a 23 year old when I, when I was playing over there. Sure. And did you have any, any kind of just traveling buddies, the guys that were playing the tour, um, that you kind of, uh, moved along from from city to city or, or country to country, for that matter. Um, any yeah, the tour the tour was kind of a, a bunch of uh, you know, we traveled as a group. Um, there were probably thirty Americans, and then you know probably sixty players total that kind of were exempt players that played the tour. We all kind of traveled there um, as nomads together. But uh, but again, a great experience. I saw places that I would have never dreamt uh, that I would and all because I was chasing around a little white ball. Yeah. Yeah. So you get back from Asia, you did play, um, you know, several PGA tour events right around 99. Um, Most notably you have a T 15 at the Nissan open to Riviera and a, and which is now the the Genesis, but uh, you know, tied for 25th at Pebble. And this was right around the time where, uh, you know, obviously Tiger had won his masters in 97 and, you know, 99, 2000 is really when he was kind of approaching that zenith of, of his, his playing career. From the time that you briefly saw him and, and spent time playing against him in college to where he was in 99 when you were on the PGA Tour, did, did you see a big jump in just the, the media attention, just the general energy and vibe around the tour and around professional golf? Well, certainly there was. The purses, I think, doubled that year. I had my card in 1999 and, and actually played with Tiger uh, in San Diego that year, I got to watch him shoot the course record, which was pretty, a pretty awesome experience in itself. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the coverage of the sport blew up. Um, I didn't see a big change in tiger. I wouldn't say now his game tightened up in college. His wedge play wasn't as good as, as it, you could see him wasting all kinds of shots and how good he was going to be eventually. So, uh, it was an awesome experience to get to play with him right before he kind of started that run. I played with him in February of 99, the third round of the San Diego open. We were, we both made the cut middle of the pack. We started on the back nine and uh, he had just fired fluff. Fluff was his caddy. He had a friend of his from high school that was caddying for him right before he hired Steve Williams. And um, I think it was Byron uh, Bell. If not, if I'm, if I'm, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. And, um, which was a good story kind of inside itself as well. They, um, I ended up, I shot one under par that day. I birdied number 10, which was our first hole. I bogeyed 11 and then I birdied number nine, the last hole and part everything in between. And tiger goes off. He shot maybe four under on the back nine and then blitz the front nine. So he needs to birdie the last hole to break the course record. He knows that. I know that it's caddy knows that the whole world knows it. It's, four or five deep tee to green, the ninth hole at Torrey Pines, and he popped up his tee ball. It was the driving distance hole. The ball still went 300 yards. <laughs> and uh, he was sitting there debating the shot with his caddy, his, his buddy. And um, he said, well, it's either a soft two iron or a hard three iron. And, and Brian or Byron or whatever his name is tapped him and said, there's no soft in your game. Just hit the three. <laughs> so he, hammers a three iron he blocked it to the right he ended up getting it up and down 
to uh, to shoot 62 and set the course record that day that I think still stands. They've redesigned the golf course, but um, I'm positive that was the course record then, and I'm fairly positive it still is now. Um, so that was quite an experience, and then he went on to win the tournament. He was leading by the end of that day and then closed it out the next day. So that was cool for me to see, and that was the week leading into the LA Open where I ended up finishing 15th, but I take a lot of pride in that. I didn't backdoor into a 15th place finish. I was actually in the final group on Saturday with Bob Estes and and, um, Ernie Els. So it was great to – I was leading most of the day on Friday, so I got to experience what that was like and be in the booth and all the interviews and all the things that come with leading on the PGA Tour. And and I didn't end up winning. I certainly wasn't ready for that, but – but uh, but I take pride in that finish. That was the best finish that I ever had on the PGA Tour was 15th. Yeah, I think I, I think I remember it was a pair of 67s you shot in the first two rounds. So you mentioned you didn't you didn't think you were ready uh, at that time. And but the things that you saw, I guess, on the PGA Tour being especially that tournament being right up there at the at the lead. You know, I've spoken to other people about uh, you know those top 30, 40 guys on the tour that just seem to have separated themselves. Uh, what was the, was there one thing that maybe you can put your finger on that you noticed? I know it's kind of hard, but during that weekend that you saw in some of these players like Ernie Els, or I know Davis Love the Third was up there and so was Duvall and Tiger, you know, is there something that you saw out of them that you, that wasn't in your game at the time? No, not that week. Um, my good was as good as it needed to be. I just wasn't good enough often enough. Sure. So, so not that weekend. Uh, um, I say I wasn't ready because at the end of the day in golf, that's just the facts. Sometimes you're not ready to win. That would have been a big leap for me to win that week. Although I felt very comfortable in the setting. I thought I was prepared. Uh, but at the end of the day in golf, it's, it's no different than at least in my case, when people ask me, why didn't I go farther in professional golf or whatever? I just tell them I wasn't good enough. It, 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 and you really can't argue that golf's a sport where they can't keep you out. If you're good enough, right. you, you make it to the top. So, um, you know, overall on the tour, I needed to drive the ball better. Um, the combination of my driving accuracy with my distance, um, if you were going to drive it as crooked as I did, you need to be one of the longest hitters on the tour. And I was not. Uh, I was a very average length hitter, and, and my game overall was just strong kind of throughout. I didn't do any one thing good enough to kind of overcome all those other things. But uh, – but again, I got to play golf for, for a long time and do it for a living. And um, I started a family shortly after that and decided to stop stop playing. I, I didn't really – I was kind of a middle-of-the-pack player. Sure. Um, by the 2000 season, I played the web.com and, and, and finished, I think, 70th on the money list, which was very ordinary. I knew I could continue to make a living, but I felt like I'd – be happier doing something else. And I certainly have been and been blessed to find my way back to Oklahoma state. Sure. And and when did, when did the opportunity or the idea to return to Oklahoma state kind of start? Was it pretty much right after that 2000 time? I know that you spent, uh, you spent several years as an, as an associate head coach of both the men's and the women's team. Um, you know, how did that process begin to get into coaching? Was that kind of on your radar at the time? Well, when I when I decided to stop playing, coaching was what I wanted to do, and uh, I I had a couple different opportunities, and and I ended up choosing to go to work for Ping in their tour department, which was a great uh, learning experience for me to be around 
uh, learning about equipment. I uh, was fortunate to have a great relationship with the Solheim family at, at Ping from my time at Oklahoma State. They were wonderful to me, and I really thought I'd be there uh, forever, And um, but I had a coach holder uh, offer me a job back as an assistant coach in 2004, and uh, that was a great opportunity to come home and, and kind of fill the competitive uh, um, the the want to compete again in, in that arena and uh, I've been fortunate to be doing that ever since sure well you um, you know this is your fourth year or just completed your I'm sorry you're the fourth head coach in Oklahoma State history uh, I guess well actually you probably are this is about your fourth or fifth year uh, fifth say, yeah fifth? just okay. finished my fifth yeah so you just finished your fifth year um, you know the 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 drama of the national championship the the very the final match wasn't the quite the drama in 1995 but you know you've had some pretty unique experiences you've won a national championship as a player you've won one as a coach you know you were you were even on the bag for a US amateur victory at you know 2010 with uh, with a player Peter Uline uh, which was the most nerve-wracking of those three um you know, I would, I don't know. The most nervous that I've ever been in my life was this year standing there waiting for our first guy to tee off at the championship, not the final round, the first round. Okay. Um, he wasn't late, was he? <laughs> no, he wasn't late. Austin Ekro was the first one to tee off and I had been fine the whole week, but, uh, just standing there waiting for this, you, you hope that your players are ready. Um, you know, I knew we were certainly good enough to to win and expected that, but uh, something just kind of washed over me there for a few minutes. I was the most nervous I've ever been in my life. And um, but after that, after he hit the tee ball and absolutely pounded it down the middle, I was very calm the rest of the week. Um, you know, it's always a little probably more nerve wracking when you don't have the club in your hand because sure. you don't have control. Um, but, uh, but I knew we were ready. I felt like I was ready for um, whatever would be thrown at us and, and was going to do what I could to help our guys. So, um, yeah, the most nervous would, would have been this year. Again, just waiting for everything to get going. Once we got into it, I was very calm the whole week. Um, and, uh, you know, all those other situations, I, I, was, I was calm as well. And, and um you know, those are probably the three coolest experiences I've had in golf. Number one, um, you know, someone asked me which, which I preferred shortly after the championship, winning as a player or this year's as a coach. And um, we've also won one. I, I was assistant coach on the 2016. But um, and initially I said as a player, because obviously that's something you work for. You do have control. The clubs are in your hands. Um but as I've had a little time to reflect, I would say um, this year's championship, being that it was in Stillwater in front of our fans, yeah. um, you know, we hadn't won one. We, this was the fourth time that we had hosted and um, to be actually able to deliver that and then seeing the look on our guy's face. That's why you get into coaching is to provide that kind of an opportunity for your players. So, uh, so I would say number one, was this year as the coach number two would be when we won in 95 as a player and number three would be caddying for peter in that u.s amateur that was a an awesome experience and and um 
you know, I'll never forget that week with, with he and his family there as, uh, as he led into that championship at Chambers Bay. Well, and I, I could totally understand that. I would just think that after such a buildup of the, the year with the seven consecutive victories and just the, the total lead up, I can, I can see where you're coming from with being really nervous. Like, okay, this is, this is it. This is what we've worked the entire year for. Now this is going to happen and here it comes. So, um, I have to ask you, so your, your guys and as, as well as, uh, you know, the Oklahoma team were the feature of a, a really unique television series on the golf channel driven, um, you know, uh, Ricky Fowler's executive producer of that. It really is something that unless you're familiar with like the program hard knocks, which is on HBO that, that basically did a very similar thing, but for professional athletes, uh, really has never been done before. So was there any maybe trepidation about, about doing something like this and how it would affect the team? Um, you know, how did this whole project first come to your attention? Well, there definitely was some angst about doing it, but, but uh, the Golf Channel approached us last fall uh, to see if we'd be interested in doing that. And, um, you know, it's a no-brainer to do. If they're going to do the first show on college golf, uh, Oklahoma State has earned that yep. to, um, to be the first ones that they cover. It wouldn't be right if they were going to cover uh, something else. And the Golf Channel knew that, and we would have been foolish to, to pass on that. Uh, so, so, again, that was a no-brainer. Um, the angst kind of coming in is I've done plenty of interviews, but, um, normally they're played in their entirety, you know, to do this, you don't know how things will be sliced up and packaged, edited. Um, obviously the golf channel wanted things to shine positively on Oklahoma state and college golf in general, but you just never know how things are going to shake out. And then the fact that our team would be watching it leading into the championship was another element to deal with whether that would be something they would say or do that would inspire your opponents or you just, you just never know right. how that's going to be received. So, uh, but the way it shook out, we gave them a great script. Unfortunately, we lost the big 12 championship, which made the story that much more dramatic, I guess, leading into the championship. But, uh, the way it all shook out, it, it was uh, pretty much a fairy tale ending, and and couldn't couldn't have asked for things to to turn out any better. And then this summer, traveling around, the feedback from the show and and the number of people that that watched, um, the feedback's been wonderful. Um, I've had people comment in airports or golf courses or uh, wherever I've been how much they enjoyed that and enjoyed uh, how our team presented themselves, uh, in all those settings. So I take a lot of pride in the, in the job that our kids did of representing Oklahoma state and Oklahoma state golf. One of the episodes that I remember is that the entire team went down to, uh, to Ricky's house in South Florida. Was it hard to get them to leave his house? I mean, how did, did, were the eyes kind of wide open where they're just hanging out with Ricky, just hitting wedge shots in his backyard? Well, the coolest part about being at Ricky's house is just how humble he is when he shows it around. He, he's still like a little kid uh, when he shows you around his place and, and can you believe I did this? Right. Uh, okay. You know, so, but, but our kids are pretty comfortable with him and, and uh, it is hard to leave that setting. And we were fortunate that same day, Kevin Tway, Morgan Hoffman, Drew Page, uh, Brad Gale, some of our other former players that are down there were able to join us as well. And then Matt Holiday, who, uh, is from here in Stillwater, uh, had he and his family join us for dinner as well. So it was, uh, 
basically kind of Stillwater East for a few hours. There you go. And uh, great inspiration for our kids to dream and to think that, you know, maybe they can achieve some of the things that Ricky has one day. So I, I want to ask you about your, the freshman, your freshman, Matt Wolf. I, well, he's going to be a sophomore next year, but I want to ask you about him. He's the Phil Mickelson Award winner, freshman of the year. You know, he has from what most, I guess, a lot of people would think, I can't say everyone, but from what a lot of people would think just by immediately watching him on TV or seeing him play, uh, his swing is, is quite a bit different than most other college players. I'm wondering when you have such a talent like that and you recruit a talent, that is such a unique swing, you know, how do you coach a player, but also not try and change anything? What's that process where you have a player that is such a natural gift that you have to be kind of careful with it? Well, no different than, than uh, anyone else. We're going to recruit technique that we like and Matt's golf swing is awesome. Um, You know, you can turn your back on him and, tell what a good player he is just by listening. Now he certainly takes the club away in a unique way, but like he said, if he didn't see himself on video, he would think that it's straight back and straight through. Sure. So there's some mechanical advantages to the way that he does take the club away. Um, makes it a little easier to maybe shallow the club, but um, our job with him really is to just make sure that he owns that and doesn't let anyone mess with it. A little bit like when Ricky was here, you know, those guys should be giving the lessons, not taking them. And uh, Matt's fortunate. He's got a great swing coach and George Gankus at home that helps him recognize all the things that he does well. And uh, he's a very, very good ball striker. Hits the ball a long way and hits it where he's looking most of the time. So he's certainly got room for improvement in lots of ways. Um, but changing his golf swing is not how he's going to gonna improve. Sure. And, you know, the, the depth of your team – you know, is, is pretty incredible. You know, you just a few days ago, you, you just had one of your players, Hayden Wood, win the Oklahoma state amateur final. And, you know, he defeated Austin Eckrode in the final. So, and, and Hayden wasn't in your starting five of the national championship. So you have such a strong team. I know that golf is an individual sport, but college golf is a team game. How do you keep things highly competitive, but also, simultaneously build team chemistry? Well, you really just have to credit our kids. Um, Some years you have that, some years you don't. We're fortunate right now with a kid like Hayden Wood. He's a legacy player. His dad, Willie, played at Oklahoma State. He's one of the best players we ever had. So, um, you know, he knows what what it's all about. Uh, If any of these guys think they're going to play the PGA Tour with success, they certainly can't be afraid of, of competition. So we're fortunate to have kids that embrace that and and understand that, um, you know, that's a part of it. Everybody's going to play a role. Sometimes your role is, is, uh, holding the last putt. Sometimes your role might be, uh, busting your butt at home so that the guy in front of you is ready to go. And, uh, Hayden is a great example of that. He was in the lineup for a lot of the year. Uh, last year it was a very fine line. Uh, among our team, but Hayden had a great attitude when he did go out of the lineup and uh, continued to push and had his number been called, he would have been ready to go. And we expect big things from him uh, going forward into this year. Um, we returned four of the five guys from last year yeah. uh, along with Hayden and then a couple of uh, of new guys, new freshmen that'll come in. So uh, really excited to see what we can do. And uh, 
nothing would make me happier than to see uh, Hayden hold the the winning putt um, next year in Fayetteville. Yeah. Well, I, I know, um, I know how you've, you've really put the spotlight on your players. I, I watched the national championship. I saw a lot of your post round interviews you did with, uh, with the golf channel, uh, Nota Begay and, and Steve Burkowski. I know you said many times, it's really about them. Uh, you want to get your seniors out of there with a national championship, but what is something that you feel that you and your assistant coach, uh, Donnie Dar do you did well throughout the season to put your players in the position to succeed? I think we did a good job of talking about what we wanted to happen. Um, we had a lot of people uh, during the week, the championship week, they kept talking about expectations. They kept trying to tell me that we had talked about expectations all week and this, that, and the other. And I, and I had to correct them to say, well, we've been talking about it because you've been asking me that. Right. Um, everybody talked about the pressure that playing at home brings we were talking to our players about the advantage that playing at home brings. And, um, you know, that's really the best way you to succeed is you talk about the things you want to happen and, um, who doesn't want to play at home, uh, for that matter, who doesn't want to play with expectations? If you're playing with expectations, you've done something good. Right. And, um, why wouldn't you want the expectation to be on you to achieve at a high level and succeed? So uh, I think that's what we did the best job of this year. And again, you got to credit our players. They embraced that. They didn't shy away from the winning streak. They wanted to talk about it. Uh, they wanted to talk about the things that, that we were attempting to do and that we wanted to happen. But I'm fortunate with Donnie. He's a rock star. He's already been the head coach at a couple other places and uh, he coaches me up every day. So uh, it's rare that I ever refer to him as, as our assistant coach. Um, you know, I talk about being fortunate to be able to coach with him. And he was also an All-American in college. I think that's a unique perspective that both of us are able to bring uh, to our guys, um, a respect and an understanding, respect from them and an understanding from us of, of what it feels like to be in the situations that they are. We've experienced it in, in a lot of different ways. So uh, I'm blessed to have him. And, and that certainly, I think, led to our success. And then you got to credit the kids again for, for listening and, um, you know, taking that in and believing uh, what we were talking about. And, and I think they saw those things play out the week of the championship, whether it was us talking about how they were going to step up and perform or how the crowds were going to show out or, what an impact the crowd and, and the way we were handling ourselves would have on our opponents. And I think all of that shined through and um, credit them for, for listening. And, and hopefully we can continue to do the same thing this year. The, the crowd support was unreal. So it sounds like you just, you crafted the message that you wanted your team to hear, not what other people were saying. And, and that's, that's fantastic. But yeah, the, the crowd was Unreal. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. And I'm sure, I'm sure it kind of hit you that, that day, just having all that kind of support. I'll get you out of here with just a, a couple others. Um, you know, we have a lot of parents uh, of junior golfers that listen to the podcast. A lot of junior players listen to it. Um, I talk to a lot of, you know, whether it's playing my own local games at my place down here in South Florida, a lot of kids are getting ready to play play collegiately you know some programs may not be the best fit uh for some players um you know it just it depends you know where where they fit you know what is something that you think is important for a junior golfer or someone that's getting ready to make that jump 
What's important for them to keep in mind when they're making that decision of where to go to play in college? Well, I think they, the most important thing is for them to find out what their goals really are uh, for their future. Um, one, they need to recognize that um, college golf is a team sport. So in addition to their individual goals, they need to align whatever goals they have for their team experience to, to match up with the university that they're going to. Um, and then I think they need to be comfortable in their, in their surrounding their, you know, wherever the, uh, beyond the golf, you know, you need to be happy where you are. Sure. It's, it's, it's a holistic and a long, long-term uh, approach that they need to mesh those goals and, and really understand the differences between uh, the programs. And if they do that, then there's a lot of good options out there for for kids to to thrive and they'll be happy with where they choose. Well, I uh, I really do appreciate the time. I'm going to ask you one little quick one. Uh, this might be a little bit pie in the sky question here, but you just led a team of young Cowboys to the national championship this year. Um, can If you had to, could you pick a dream team of five former Cowboys to play against them? Maybe you can negotiate uh, some friendlier tee boxes for yourselves or you know, maybe the, maybe the kids will give you guys a, a stroke or two, but can you put together a team of five to go against this 2018 team? And you got to, sure. and, and you got to play on it. Now, let me, let me throw that in there. You got to play on it. So you got to add, pick four guys and you got to play against the 2018 squad. Who do you want? You got I'll a long take, list to pick for them too. <laughs> yeah. I'll take, um, Lindy Miller, Scott Verplank. Oh, I'd take uh, Bob Tway. Yeah. And I'll take I'll take Ricky Fowler. So I think I, I, I think that team would be hard to beat. I, I think so too. Yeah. I uh, a, a team of five national players of the year, that'd be pretty good. Yeah, I think that would be pretty good. You'd have to work on uh work on the course. Well you probably need to play that in Stillwater. Um but uh I think that team could go anywhere and be just fine. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I uh actually an unrelated story. I, I live down in South Florida and um uh, I was playing at Adios Golf Club a long, long time ago, and I'm with some friends, and I drive the cart past, and I just do, literally just do a whip around, and I turn around, I'm like, holy shit, that's Bob Tway. And, uh, yeah, we just kept on playing. But, yeah, he was out there just hitting balls and doing whatever. So Yeah, we, we have one of a, a good friend of the program, a guy named Gary Graylick, a member at Adios Golf Club. So there's been a lot of OSU golfers run through uh run through there and even our head pro here now used to be an assistant there so well, that's a that's a good good connection there well, well that 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 explains it then well coach uh i really do appreciate the time again um i know it's a busy summer for you you're recruiting you're getting ready for next year uh thank you again congrats again on the national championship and uh, we'll be looking to see you guys uh make a run at repeating uh, next year sounds great hopefully you're wanting to uh talk to us again next year and there you have it, another great episode here at the back of the range. Special thanks to Coach Alan Bratton for taking the time. Best of luck to him and the rest of the Oklahoma State Cowboys as they chase down and try and defend their national championship. Don't forget, we will be back next week. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We'll see you again next time here at the back of the range. <laughs>